The Let's Talk podcast was inspired by the MISD's leadership and empowerment team, or LET for short. Our mission is to ensure that all students, regardless of race, culture, or gender, have an equitable learning environment so they can become the leaders they want to be. And now, here are your hosts, Daniel Norwood and Ted Mavis. It's episode 12 of the Let's Talk podcast, and let's get it going by introducing ourselves. My name is Ted Madden. I work as a video producer for the district, and I'm a 47-year-old white man. And I'm Daniel Norwood, social studies coordinator for the district, uh, leader on the LET committee, and a 38-year-old black man. And I'm Mia Three. I'm a freshman at Texas Tech, and I'm an almost 19-year-old black lady. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, You know where you went to high school, what you're majoring in, things like that. Um, I went to high school at Poteet High School. I now attend Texas Tech. I'm a freshman. I'm majoring in astrophysics. Um, that's pretty much it. I want more on majoring in astrophysics. Yes. Yes. Um, so in astrophysics, well, it's it's really, it's not a major itself, but it's a concentration. So I'm majoring in physics with a concentration in astrophysics. And really, I... Knew I always wanted to go into STEM and I wanted to get my doctorate in whatever I went into. That was always the plan. And so um, I really like calculus and I really have always had a fascination with the universe and stars and different things like that. And so I was like, okay, let's try to put them together somehow. Um, and as you know, calculus is the, the base of physics. So I'm like, that'll probably work pretty good. And I just went for it. <laughs> Um, so tell me a little bit about how, how maybe your school experience, whether it's teachers, uh, administrators, how did they contribute to your desire to want to go into astrophysics or you know, STEM education? I say for my teachers, my best teachers, in my opinion, or the ones that were most, um, that I got the most from in those classes were definitely my STEM teachers, besides from band, but that's a whole different story. But my STEM teachers definitely like really ingrained some good study skills and just life skills and qualities. So I kind of clung out to those subjects more like chemistry, biochemistry, stuff like that. And so when it came time to really start thinking about my future, I asked them and I was like, these are the things I like to do. I don't know how to put them together. And my teachers really helped me kind of problem solve and get to the resolution that either doing like astrophysics or astrochemistry was probably the best route for me. So I know, uh, you know, Daniel's on the LET committee, obviously, and you were at the first two meetings, one of the student representatives. Can you just give us a little background on, on how you got invited to be a part of that committee and then what your experiences were? Um, well, my academic decathlon coach, Jeffrey Blackwell, he sent me an email asking me to come to this meeting. And I wasn't really sure what it was about, um, I just thought that I was going to have to kind of just speak about my experiences. They chose me because I've always been like good for speeches and stuff like that in academic decathlon. And I was like, okay, I could do that. Just thinking, I had no idea it was going to be the way it was. I just thought I was going to have to like talk a bit for a few minutes. <laughs> and so I got there and I see all these like really important people and I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, this is a little bit. Just a little bit, um, a little out of my comfort zone, but I'll still like keeping it cool, keeping it calm. And as we started the meeting, the meeting, 
um, I realized it was completely different than what I was thought what I thought it was going to be. It was more like a like a discussion rather than me standing in front of all these super important people and just talking about my experiences as uh, a high schooler going through I don't know different types of discrimination or um, trying to enlighten my fellow peers on the struggles that I go through or other people go through. <laughs> really important people. That that's that describes the let committee, huh? I hear that's, that's Daniel. Well, now, <laughs> no, that's a that's how I comment. Um, you know, one of the things I think that was really important to us that day was to get you know good feedback from you guys. Uh, and I know, like Jeff Blackwell contacted you uh, and brought you in. <clears throat> Can you tell us a little bit about like? some of the feedback that you heard from your fellow peers uh, that day and things that you said? Well, from the two other guys around my age, the way that they articulated our experiences, because we are all like black teenagers in the speed I see, the way they articulated our experiences and saying like, we're all like uh, AP students as well and saying that sometimes you look around and you'd be the only black person in that class or different things like that really stuck out to me because I always like recognized it, but the way them two articul articulated it was like, kind of like, I don't know how to, how to say it. It just made me look at it like in a different way. And um, all the feedback in general, I just felt like I had never really looked at it in that light because I never really, try to um what's the word like look at my school experience in the light of okay how are people being discriminated or how can we stop this it was always just kind of like school i never took it into that that category um but when i did at the meeting i was like yeah this stuff really did happen and i'm not going to say like I've gone through tremendous amounts of discrimination or whatever, but it made me realize sometimes in the past, like, wait a minute, that teacher kind of said something out of line or that student didn't know what they were talking about when they were talking to me, like different things like that. So the whole first meeting, it was, I was a lot of times I was sitting there like, oh, wow, like this is really happening sometimes. And I just never really took it to heart. Like I, I noticed it, but it wasn't like, so it's like every other type of microaggression you face in society. You just kind of like take it and you're like, okay, it happens. They're uneducated. You keep moving. And unless you have the time to educate them, you just keep it moving. And that's how I felt going to school. Like I had, to, I had a job to do and I did it. And that's what I got from it. But at the meeting, it made me realize like, oh, this stuff has been happening around me. So if that was your experience in the first meeting where you listened to your uh, two fellow students talk about experiences that you didn't necessarily realize you had, and then you also realized that you weren't just going to be up there talking, that it was going to be a discussion. How did that second meeting go? From the first to the second one, I realized what we were like, talking about and stuff like that, so it put me in the correct mind space to be able to make, or to make better um, comments and different things like that, because it wasn't just me sitting there like, oh, this is what's going on, kind of like, starstruck almost. So at the second meeting, I felt like I could really delve in to what was going on and my personal experiences of it. And I can't really remember 
all that happened because I have a lot of other stuff going on. But I think I gave more feedback or got more from it rather than just being like, oh crap, this is what's going on. Like I was always taking notes during it and I have them somewhere in my room. And sometimes I'll like look back at them and be like, okay, and add more notes and prepare for our next meetings and stuff like that. One of the things, and you, and you mentioned that second meeting and being able to make comments, uh, well, I'll say being in the mind space to make, to make more comments and feedback. And I will tell you that in discussions that I've had with folks afterwards, that you, y'all's comments were really um, the thing that stuck out to most of the adults in the room because we heard y'all say different things. And I can remember um, you speaking on the social leadership initiative and the thing that we kind of presented. Yeah. And I can remember your comment was like, your initial comment was like, no, I don't think I would want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it kind of struck us a little bit, but it also highlighted the need to me to be able to listen as opposed to just say, hey, here's what we plan to do to help students. So can you talk a little bit about um, in that conversation about like the social leadership initiative itself, what what changed? What made you say, OK, I think I could be a part of it versus that initial I wouldn't want to do it? Because at first when I heard it, it seemed very like consuming as uh, um, what's the word like with everything else going on going to school almost is like an escape. So going to school and then having to do, having to deal with the issues from the outside world, it's just like, it didn't make sense to me. Like I wouldn't have wanted to do that. Um, But when it was um, elaborated on more and it wasn't so much of what's going on in the outside world and all the issues about it and just kind of like pouring that into school. It was more of like things that, like more of like a research type-based thing, like a project and right. um, like overarching. I felt like that, cause I've done stuff like that before in different classes. And I would like that more than just learning about different problems in the world and yeah. just having a class or something based off of issues and problems that just seems stressful like for the for the mental (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I still i think i remember your quote you said sometimes you just want to go to class you don't want to yeah (laughs) you don't want to have to handle all the outside world issues on race or any of that in school the same way uh and and that really did struck strike us and i i want you to know too that for us that that meant something just to hear it that way and the way that we form that class for future kids and that what um, the author of uh, So You Want to Talk About Race talks about intersectionality, mm-hmm. right? And we see it in, in professional sports where most athletes would just like to get between those lines and play ball or you just want to go to school and be a student. But it's always there. It's all there. And yeah. so we see NBA players now during the games, you know, with the names on their jersey and kneeling before the anthem. They're taking ownership of it, that it's all it's it's always there and they're addressing it even at the one place that they thought they could escape. It's kind of somewhere where you've gone, that, that realization too, to some degree, or not, not so much? Yeah, it is like that. However, just to make a note, I'd say that I think it's a good thing that it's being publicized in that manner with thousands of people watching um, basketball games or football games or different things like that. Because while it kind of contradicts what I said, how I don't want to, like, I just want to go to class, but 
it's on for me it's on such a small scale it's not like other people from around the world are getting a message just because i'm going to this like class that's based off of um racial discrimination and other things like that however when it's broadcasted on such a wide scale i think it's a really good thing because it it can help people be like okay wait what are they kneeling for do their own research and just start the discussion this is something i wanted to bring up on previous podcasts is as you talked about the scale, right? Like at, at the NBA level, thousands of people are watching those games versus what you do. And so this is a discussion for all of us is you think about what can I do to make a difference, which isn't much. You know, if I eat with the same plastic fork for two weeks and wash it, as opposed to throwing it away every time, I'm not saving the environment. So while I can help my little community maybe by by being aware of these things, it's got to be institutional change, doesn't it? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. I don't know. That's, I don't know what my question is even necessarily, yeah. because I'm, gonna, I'm still going to wash that plastic fork and eat with it more than once because it's, it doesn't need to go in the garbage right away. But I'm not helping anything right. with just that one thing. Well, and I'll, I'll, if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll say a little bit on it. I think um, as, we, as we talk in our book studies, the thing that I have to constantly remind myself is that if I'm in a book study with 10 principals, those 10 principals make decisions for hundreds of kids on each campus. And so while it, it may be just one book study that's going for a few days, and I'll tell my experience um, in the book study, if we can help at least even five of those principals make better decisions about discipline with their kids on campus, then that might affect, say, 50 to 100 kids on their campus who might have um, somebody on the campus who, you know, has a bias towards them. And, and if that changes those 50 kids, then that in turn might change the family structure for a kid who goes, decides to go to college because at second grade they were chosen for a gifted program or at second grade they weren't disciplined over and over and over and learning to hate school. Um, and so I, I look at it as kind of the starting point, and I've kind of said this with the work that we're doing, it's, yeah, book studies aren't enough, but at the same time, it's a starting point, and I think that you look for um, exponential growth over time is, is kind of the way I look at it, as if we can do a little bit now with a lot more people who have influence over even more people, then you, know, you make that growth over time. And it's gonna take time, but I do think those are things that, you know, at least when I go to bed at night, make me feel a little better about the work that we're trying to do. You know? What are your thoughts? Because you kind of hinted at that, where, in your classroom, you can't make much of a difference like an NBA player might be able to make. So what are your thoughts on this? I say, like, I, I see, definitely see both sides that you two were talking about. Whereas on one type, like with the plastic fork, you don't, it doesn't feel like you're making much of a difference because you go on social media and you see, like, celebrities taking private jets to go two miles. And that's just doing exponentially more damage on the climate than that one plastic fork will ever do. However... I think it's all about like the intent and the effort. And so while personally, I wouldn't take that class we we're talking about, I know that personally, I do my effort to spread the message of like, or educate people about what's going on and how they can do better. Like when people, um, I, I said this a little bit before, but if people say like a microaggression around me and like, it's not in a time where I'm busy and I have to go do something. I won't get mad at them. I'll take the time to be like, hey, that wasn't a cool thing to say. And 
maybe tell them why it's not a cool thing to say and what they can do better and how they could reword it and different things like that. And so, like I said, it's all about intent and effort. Like I know me saying and educating that person isn't a lot, but like how Daniel said, it's a, it's a, it's a trickle down effect. And as you keep trickling down, one goes to two and two to four and four to eight, and you keep on going and going and going. And while you might, you may not see the, the difference in your lifetime, but the people that you have affected will continue to carry down. And maybe in the next two or three generations, there will be someone that completely flips. You wouldn't have thought that this family could think this way. And then something happened and now they're just, I don't know, just enlightened. So I definitely see both sides. And that, what you bring up there is, um, you know, when we talk about as educators, sometimes we're really good at like finding research finding books and going in and like educating ourselves about like what we need to do with students. Um, and one of the things that I think we wanted to emphasize with the LED committee, and it was, believe me, it's still a work in progress for us, is listening more. What are the things that like for you, what, what can adults do to listen to, to teenagers more on the things that they may be dealing with as opposed to making up our own solutions all the time for, for what you guys tackle? Sometimes teenagers aren't really taken seriously because they kind of act stupid sometimes. And so our previous actions can um, over overrule like whenever we have actual serious stuff going on. Yeah. So sometimes the things we post on social media or different things like that, adults will see it and be like, well, they're just dumb teenagers anyways, and just completely negate the fact that we're actual humans that go through stuff too. And so I feel like if, if adults would take us more seriously and also realize that we're growing up in a time where technology is like steadily increasing. Social media is probably the biggest platform that we have and different things like that. And just realize that we're more knowledgeable than um, perceived. Like we may say stupid stuff, but I could tell you a lot about what's going on in the world. Um, I could post a meme and then go back and have a debate with someone like I'm not just two-dimensional um, and so if if adults realize that we're that we're multifaceted and that we can have a goofy funny side or whatever and also be really really educated as a result of the the massive technology around us and so if if that's realized then probably there's a chance that we'll be listened to more. Cause like, I, I know personally my friend's parents, um, whenever the, the peak of the protests were going on a few months ago, they were saying like, well, they shouldn't be destroying communities and rioting and looting and all that stuff. And me and my friends were trying to tell them like, well, lots of these things, the rioting and looting are incited behavior. Like, one person that doesn't even belong to Black Lives Matter would go and like throw a glass bottle out a window or different things like that. And this behavior is incited. And we were trying to let them know and they they weren't they weren't getting it because they're just trying to like push us off like oh it's teenagers, what do you know? Meanwhile they just sit around and watch CNN, which is, you know, not maybe the best source of news. And so it it, it took time over probably that whole month to show them 
countless video after video after article after video of what was going on and really to show them like, hey, I know you're getting your, your news from this source. And I know a lot of our sources are social media, which doesn't mean that they're unreputable, but this is, this is what's happening to actual people at the protest. And so after that time, like now, I can definitely tell if they take us more seriously because we are persistent. We're telling them yeah. every day, like, this is what's going on. And they got some respect for me and my friend. And now they actually listen to our opinions rather than just dismissing us, thinking that we're over emotional or just not um, knowledgeable enough about what's going on, just because we personally don't use the news and we use things like social media and Twitter and Facebook. Instagram and that type of stuff. I don't necessarily need to know names, but you're talking about these discussions you're having with adults. Who are the adults? Is this on social media? If somebody will tweet something and then you and your friends would respond to it? Um, well, some of the adults would be her parents or um, other people, yeah, on social media. Um, just different people in the community that have stuff to say and they're just a little um, biased and not looking at the full picture. Yeah. A lot of times that bias or the decision to listen to you or not is, is a deliberate choice and yes, not that they just don't hear you. So I don't mean to make you speak for an entire generation, but you're the only college freshman we're talking to right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I am wondering when you do hear um, in general, whether it's through the news or when you hear the adult voices, that's the narrative because the adults are the ones running the world. Is there a large disconnect between what you and your friends are thinking versus what you're hearing from the adults in the world? No, not necessarily. That's kind of a, a hard question. If we're talking about like, I don't know, general politics and stuff like that, depending on who the adult is, I would say that we, me and my friends are completely, um, what's the word? Like. We, we understand what's going on and we agree with it. Um, but sometimes when adults try to make assumptions about how we feel in our lives and different things like that, there's a bit of a disconnect just because they're not our age, they're not living our lives. Um, just, it, it, it's really not that big of a deal though. Um, but it, it's not like a, a completely a complete disconnect because it's fine to, to try to see both sides and it's not really both sides because we're all living in the same world. It's just different perspectives on it. That's, I think that's what I'm trying to say. Like we're both looking at the same picture and you can view it one way and I view it another, but ultimately it's the same picture and we all recognize that. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And I'm kind of, kind of switching gears just a little bit, you know, we talked earlier about your major astrophysics. What would you say um, to just younger students who might be looking for a college major, who might be looking to go to college, some who may not feel like they can actually go to college? Uh, you know, what would you say to encourage them um, to basically kind of do what you're doing, where you've you've actually, you know, you've you've graduated high school, you've chosen a major, you're still early in it, but you know, you've overcome some obstacles that some people see as, as very significant, even in high school graduation and college. You know, what would you say to some of these young folks? I would honestly say just go for it. Like, if you don't know what you want to do, you can just choose undeclared or just choose a major and just try it out. Um, and if college is 
maybe too expensive or not that much of a it's not idealistic for the life that you're currently living maybe try a community college or just do some courses online but i'd say definitely like don't stop learning do not stop learning um i feel like humans are just always we're just an evolving species and so i feel like you should just evolve with yourself as you get older continue to learn something um, even if you're not in school just always try to learn something um and i would just like don't be afraid of it of college it, it can be scary it was scary for me because i wasn't exactly sure what if astrophysics was what i wanted to do but you have to start from somewhere and it's not like it's set in stone you can always change it you can always always change it um and that's just you just shouldn't be afraid about that you're making the effort and that's what matters i feel like we'd be remiss if we don't ask you what your thoughts are on the work that the leadership and empowerment team is doing you were a student just last year from what you've heard from the meetings and what their efforts are what do you feel about how that will help students like you i think it'll be really helpful i remember they're talking about some sort of like uh feedback system um and i think that'll be really good because it'll help the educators realize what they're doing wrong or right and then do more or less of it uh, respectively and so giving students that platform to feedback on these teachers and then also the teachers to do feedback on themselves. I really, really, really like that idea because I feel like a lot of times students have ideas, but there isn't a platform for them to voice them. And like going to a principal or something and saying that this teacher is a little questionable or that this activity or this student or whatever is sometimes inconclusive. It never really comes to a resolution. But if we put in from the, from the root of it, if we put in foundations that there is a, a system that allows you to make these uh, comments and stuff. I feel like that'll really, like, and along with not being able to make much change, if you just go to a principal and say, like, I don't like the way this teacher is talking. Um, a lot of times, if you know that there isn't going to be a conclusion, like, obviously, you're not going to get the teacher fired, or you're not going to get that student expelled. You you're like deterred from even making the comment. Um, but if there's a system in place for feedback and different things like that, and there's literally a system dedicated to this, why not make the comment? Because they, they have to take that into consideration at that point. Yeah, at that point, you're starting to collect patterns. You can recognize patterns, got it. Thanks for taking the time for us. Absolutely. We appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> I appreciate it too. That's Nia Threet, student at Texas Tech and a 2020 Poteet graduate. If you like the podcast, please share it on your social media platforms so we can spread the conversation and reach as many people as possible. Thanks for listening. For Daniel Norwood, I'm Ted Madden. Let's talk again next week.